Hello and welcome, dear listeners, to another episode of Expat Dispatch with you, as always, your hosts, Dimitri and Sergey. Sergey, hello. Hi. Hello, I'm saying hi. Thank you, Dimitri, for letting me do that. No worries, you're always welcome. So today's episode is dedicated to a conversation with Adriana, an architect, urban planner and a photography enthusiast, and more importantly, a friend of ours. Hi, Drana. How are you doing today? Hi. Hi, Dimitri. Hi, Sergei. Uh, yeah. Is... Hello. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very official, a very formal introduction. Um, well prepared. Yeah. Usually it goes that our guests introduce us themselves. So just, yeah, go for it. Cool. As Dimitri said, my name is Adriana from the US and I am not technically an architect, can't say that legally, but I'm an architectural designer. Mm -hmm. I don't want any government association coming after me for calling myself an architect. But yes, I practiced as an architectural designer in the US for a couple of years and then decided to make my way to the Netherlands as a way to escape America. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, I ended up in the same program as Dimitri and Sergey. So many questions already raising in my head. First uh -huh. of all, let's start with just the casual ones. Where did you live in the US? In Washington, D.C., right? Yes. So yeah. just before moving here, I lived in Washington, D.C., but I did my studies in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Is it always sunny there? <laughs> <laughs> wow, I've never heard that one before. Oh, yeah? <laughs> did you hear this from the Russian? Huh? Honestly, no. So that was the first time. You are you can take that, that <laughs> crown as the first one. Yeah, so, all right. Now, please tell us why you wanted to escape. It was during COVID. I was working for this architecture company. I was super lucky to still have my job during COVID because they went through mass layoffs probably in June. And it was incredibly traumatic. The CEO was leading up to it. He was like, we're not gonna go through layoffs. We're not gonna go through layoffs. And he was like, we might go through layoffs. And then he was like, we will go through layoffs. You will get an email the day of. And then on Friday, 7 a.m., we get an email saying like, today's the day. If you get a phone call from us, you know you will be laid off. And I was like, oh my God. And so the whole day I had to pretend like I was working from home and I could not think of anything besides just me potentially losing my job. And I realized this was not, this was like kind of like the the catalyst for me making the move towards like going back to grad school and leaving the U.S. because I didn't want to live in a country that just did not value people. Mm -hmm. And that created like a work environment that you could just do this to people. Which, like it is crazy. People, probably about like 40% of the company lost their job that day. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of people. Those are people that have families and homes and children to take care of. So, yeah. Yeah, indeed. In the US, it's much easier to fire the person. But I guess kind of the back side of the story here in Europe, it's not that easy to get a job. Oh, no, it's, it is incredibly difficult. <laughs> yeah, that's the opposite side yeah. of the equation that you easily get laid off in the US, but it's also easier to find a job. Because here, employers are reluctant to hire people because they know that they cannot easily lay off people if they have a contract. I mean, so, yeah, if you pass the probation period, you still got to do that. 
Oh, yeah, it's a year-long probation period? No, two months. Oh, two months? I had, oh. I had one month. I already passed it. Yeah. Oh, yay! <laughs> Exciting. Yeah, so when you came here, yeah, tell us what were your first impressions, just in general, how can you compare US to the Netherlands, like on the main differences? Main differences is I can walk through the streets here comfortably by myself at any time of day. Aren't you afraid that uh, the cycle is going to run out? You run? No. <laughs> I almost did get hit by a bike the other day, and that was like the first time this ever happened. And I was like, "Wow, it's been two years! Like, come on, Adriana, <laughs> you've lived here long enough now." <laughs> no, I just never in the U.S. and especially in D.C. I'm speaking mostly for D.C. and Philadelphia. You can't just comfortably walk outside and go to the grocery store because mm -hmm. the grocery store sometimes is a 30-minute walk mm. away from you. Everywhere or in certain areas? In certain areas. So let me think. For my apartment in D.C., it was probably like to like an affordable grocery store. It was probably about like a 20-minute walk. Mm. So it's a bit of a walk. And as a woman, it is a little bit it's scarier to walk at night. For sure. It's just the feeling and unsafetyness is just in the air all mm -hmm. the time. Here it's much safer because the groceries just don't work at night. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't go to the grocery store at night, so problem <laughs> solved. When I first moved here, I realized, oh, I could go out at night and be safe. Like In Rotterdam, I though? <laughs> I'm fine with it. There's always The thing is, the biggest difference is, is that there's always people around. And it's the density of everything mm -hmm. that creates the sense of safetyness, I think. Mm -hmm. Because if there's always people, then people kind of like watch out for each other. In where I lived in D.C., there were people around, but most people were just like already in their apartments by nighttime. So you didn't see anyone. Mm -hmm. So it was like walking to a bar or something like that. You're like, I'm going to walk really fast right now. <laughs> make sure I don't get stopped by someone. And then, were you born in the US or because I remember that some of your family is coming from Latin America? Yes. So I was born in Washington, D.C. actually. So my dad is Colombian and then my mom is American. Mm -hmm. She's from Ohio. So the great old Midwest. From Cleveland or uh, just outside Cincinnati? Of, just outside of Cleveland. Nice. In a little town called Painesville. So the greatest spot in America. Uh, <laughs> And uh, yeah, my dad's from Colombia. So growing up, my dad would always speak to me in Spanish, would cook mostly Colombian food. And then my mom would speak to me in English. She didn't really cook. But so we would mostly eat Colombian food in my house. And then we would go to Colombia probably once every year. In the beginning, my dad would go with me. And then at some point, I would go down by myself. The older as I got, and I could fly more or less by myself. Like, I would go down and then stay with my grandma. Because mm -hmm. I, I have godparents there, family, friends, mm -hmm. everything like that. So, over the summers, I would stay there. <clears throat> okay. And coming back to your initial story, you were laid off or not laid off? I wasn't laid off, you wasn't thankfully. Laid off, but no. you, still, after that, you realized that it's time to make a move because you don't want to end up in this situation <clears throat> ever again. Right? Yeah. And did you have any idea about the Netherlands? Did you know this place? Have you visited it before? Or was it a totally new thing that you just put yourself in? Well, I studied abroad during my university, like my bachelor university, but I lived in Rome. And I knew, I was like, I don't want to go to Italy. Love Italy for traveling, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But to live there, it was incredibly chaotic. 
and I don't want super big chaos. So I like to be live a more like relaxed lifestyle because I think I'm a little bit chaotic myself. So if there's more chaos around me, I just build up to it. And I knew that I wanted to live in a country that was a good example for urban planning, urban studies. So I applied mostly to programs in the Netherlands, Sweden, Denmark, and Finland. Mm-hmm. Um, Not Spain, since you speak Spanish. Because of the job opportunities afterwards, mm. which is funny to think about now, <laughs> as we here are now. But yeah, I do speak Spanish, so it would be a good idea for me to go to Spain. But And they do have really good schools for urban planning, and like Barcelona is a great mm-hmm example of urban planning yeah easy though i mean because of all the blocks it's such an like an american style planning no the... it's not american yeah but i mean they have like this blocks but uh... they're much smaller than the american yeah yeah for sure but still it's something not very usual for europe i'm not saying it's either bad or good I, i've been there once and i actually liked it i'm just saying that yeah, but it's not curious. card dependent at all mm-hmm. yeah for sure i mean i actually think that rotterdam is <laughs> more card dependent than barcelona uh, which is yeah funny but being in europe only in italy yes. yeah and applied to the nordic countries ended up in the netherlands yep so you came here the first thing you did you ran for the elections <laughs> i ruined i ruined your... <laughs> that's what you did you ruined oh, it no it's okay tell us your side of the story it pops in my head every once in a while <laughs> i because i remember being in i forget what class it was like uda like you what was it What was that class? Mm-hmm. Data analytics. Urban data analytics. Was it? I mean, we, I think we started them later. Maybe it was... What class? Um, more, maybe. It doesn't matter. It was like, our class was the only one that was not let out for this that election. Yeah. yeah. And I remember getting so many text messages and then like us being in class trying to tell the professor and she's like, I still have to go over this. And, I, and everyone was like, where are you? We're starting. Yeah. And I was like, I can't do anything. I can't mm-hmm. just leave out of the class. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's incredibly rude to the professor. So... Yeah, missed. I think it was only Polina's. Yeah, I mean, uh, that was the whole point. I didn't know back no, then. No, yeah. Neither of you is just... So yeah, the story goes at least how I see that because I was before you came. So we were like half empty of our audience and mm-hmm. the professor who was there, she's like, yeah, let's start. And everyone is saying, but half of the people are missing. She's like, yeah, whatever, let's start. And who wants to start first? And Polina actually volunteered. And she started speaking, and while she was speaking, some people were just walking in, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, eventually, I guess, like, 30% of the people just missed her, like, talking. So, I mean, that was kind of unfair for everyone, so I just I wanted to be more fair, and that was my only purpose, and I had no idea that in the end it would be, like, you know, reversed, and... Because, yeah, for the, in the first voting, Adriana won, but then we revolted, I was protesting, yeah. And, and so then Polina said her speech again Yeah, yeah. for everyone who was there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was the whole point. But I don't know, like, do you really regret that you didn't do that in the end? Because it's quite a, you know, a messy job, like, you needed um, to do so many stuff. Yeah, no, thinking about how the year actually turned out, I think I'm okay, <laughs> like, not... <laughs> having well okay i also don't blame you for the thing it was more the whole system of voting that yeah. we all were like this makes no sense yeah russians uh, know uh, how to make elections fair right <laughs> that's course. what i did <laughs> it was crazy to me we were like you should vote this way she's like doesn't matter we're gonna do it this way 
And yeah. every everyone in the room collectively was like, this makes no sense. Mm-hmm. So not your fault. I don't also blame myself. It's just like, uh, I don't... I, it's funny to look back on now. I can't fall asleep yeah. during the night uh, because of that. But yeah, also, Adriana, you were uh, a student representative of our track. Yeah. Uh, so you, yeah, kind of uh, fulfilled your needs in that regard. For our track, it was incredibly easy because we actually had a good track. Most of our meetings with the academic director, it was the people from the climate change track mm-hmm. and the green infrastructure track, mm-hmm. they would be the ones taking the floor most of the time and being like, these are our issues. And then for our track and then economics and housing, we were like, everything's fine. <laughs> for our track, we have an incredible amount of work that sometimes mm-hmm. doesn't align with each other, mm-hmm. with the theoretical part and then the, the practical part coming together just sometimes mm-hmm. didn't add up. But we had it fine. <laughs> so you you would say you are satisfied with the quality of huge education you received comparing to the U.S. standards, let's say? Ooh, good question. I can't compare U.S. education to this just because for my bachelor's, it was a five-year practical. Yes, I was mm. in school for five years. Yeah, it was a long time. Like architecture school. So it was very much project-based and... I very rarely wrote papers, mm. did not sit down for exams since freshman year taking physics. We gave presentations and this was very much just like, you write a paper, you get the, the prompts like in the beginning of the course sometimes. And then they're like, you should start working on it now. And I'm like, I don't understand how to do that, but okay, <laughs> so that's what you say. Yeah, but if not comparing, just in general, did you like it? You know, doing master's here? Also, great question. Loaded question. <laughs> I would say I did like it, but with a nice little asterisk at the end of that statement where I wish it was much more transparent about what mm-hmm. it was. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like the marketing of the whole program was mm-hmm. not that... Not that... <laughs> misleading. Yeah. I am happy that we got the experience that we got in our specialization track. It's a very good thing for my resume and also for my portfolio to say that, like, We helped create a framework plan for the city. Like, it's a very cool thing that I can put on my portfolio mm-hmm. now and say that I have experience in this. Yeah. But the biggest problem is that this course is not designed and it doesn't give any valuable skills in order to work here in the Netherlands. Yep. I've told this up to a lot of the Dutch people who I have met mm-hmm. since graduation. It kind of feels like a money grab from international students mm-hmm. because... It is marketed as I come to the Netherlands, learn these great things from the Netherlands, and all in one year. You'll learn so many things in a year. And then that's it. And they don't really help you with anything at all afterwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're like, have fun back wherever you go. Yeah, we, we touched upon this topic so many times in our podcast, actually, that most of us agree that the program was is designed in a way that people should go to, to the, their places of origin or wherever they live. There some people on the scholarships who just they were obliged to come back, mm-hmm. but at least half of the people, if not the most, uh, wanted to stay one way or another. And uh, yeah, somebody realized it quite soon. <laughs> Someone's still trying to find a way. I was lucky enough to find a job with a visa not that long time ago because my current visa expires in less than three weeks and uh, your visa expires also, I guess, pretty soon. Yeah, November 6th. And uh, yeah, tell us, tell us the whole story, how we started looking for the jobs, how it went, what did you do in the meantime and what are you thinking to do now? So how it's going looking for a job because I'm still... Yeah. Present tense. Mm-hmm. It yeah. has been okay. a job. 
but wait, wait, sorry, I'm going to interrupt. But you also, like, at, as far as I remember, you told me that you want to do PhD. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I want to do a PhD because I actually want to go into teaching. That mm -hmm. is one of my dreams is to become a professor. Mm -hmm. And I like research. I love that. Great. We need to have more research in our lives. But what I'm mostly drawn to it is the opportunities to stay in academics and actually stay in teaching. And it comes from seeing like a collection of good teachers and bad teachers I've had over my life. And I like to think I could be a good teacher. I don't know if that's a bad thing for someone to say, but like, absolutely not. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I don't know if it's like that's a very good intention. Ego of me, but no. I do like to think that I can help people. I can become a pretty good teacher. Sure, there are a lot of people who are now teachers just because they ended up being them. It, it was not never their real intention. And those who wanted to be, yeah, I guess usually it turns out to be a good example. But just coming back to the whole job. But yes, so part. I wanted to get a PhD. So when I finished my thesis and I got the whole graduation paper yay amazing I started like applying for PhD positions throughout the Netherlands and it was just like I quickly realized that how difficult it actually was going to be mm -hmm. I like you know it's gonna be difficult but you don't really realize mm -hmm. how difficult it is because I would get emails back saying like we had mm -hmm. applicants for this one position And I was like, whoa, okay. How do you compete against 166 people for one position? Mm -hmm. And so initially I would start asking for feedback and they would always say like a consistent thing would be like, you have a really great resume. You have a really great letter motivation, but there's just someone with more experience. Mm -hmm. How do I get more experience? Like if I want to go into academics, the only way when you're already out of academics is to get back into academics. So it's like either going for another master's degree, that costs money. I studied in the US, I already have student loans, like can't do that again, um, or get a PhD. I guess there's also something in, in between, such as working as a research assistant, maybe mm -hmm. getting an internship in academia. But in our situation, we don't have enough time. And since we are dependent on visas, it's just... Yeah. So I waitressed for the last year. Mm -hmm. uh, at a lovely American diner in Rotterdam. I can do some great latte art now, so I developed my skills. And I do think it, I learned things from working in a restaurant. I've never worked in a restaurant before, so mm -hmm. I can't say I regret it because I don't. It gave me the financial ability to stay here. Mm -hmm. And that allowed me to practice my Dutch, actually meet Dutch people. Like our program didn't really let us mm -hmm. do that that well because there was no Dutch people. That's one. Oh, and then he left. Yeah. And then we were zero. So do Dutch people give tips? In the Dutch people do give tips. I did not realize you were supposed to tip in this country. Really? Uh, yeah. I still don't tip. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh -huh. the, my, remember my first shift? I was like, someone gave me a tip and I was like, I went to one of my colleagues and I was like, you're supposed to tip? And they're like, yeah, of course. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I have fully not tipped at all in this country. And they're like, what? <laughs> And I was like, oh no, I'm going to Dutch hell now. Yeah. How can you tip if you always pay with the card and there is no option to add tips? I don't know how it works in the US, but when I was in Canada, when you pay with the card, there is an option to pay 15, 20 or other amount as in tips and it's get charged from your card. And here mm -hmm. you just pay for your order and there is no option unless you carry cash. Most of the time it's like you have to, like the server has to put in the numbers. So they give you the bill and they're like, this is the bill. And you're like, great. 
um, and then they have to take another machine and put in the numbers. So then you can say, oh, can you make, if the bill is 17 euros, I'm like, oh, can you just make it 20? Mm. And then they're like, oh, thank you. And then put mm. in the numbers like mm-hmm. that. So, okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Now we know. Uh, now, you know. now you guys know. Now I feel like I am obliged to cheat, but to be honest... If you have a Dutch, full-time job, you should. But the Dutch service is not <laughs> the greatest. It's, it's not. That's um, true. Um... Yeah, also here, you can leave just without the tips, like you have like salary, which is enough at least for like some basic needs. But for example, in countries such as Russia, which I know of, in most of the places, if you don't get tips, you're screwed because you have like a very yeah. salary. So. In the US yeah. as well, I heard that like 90% or 80% of waitress salary comes from tips. And mm-hmm. that incentivizes you to work harder and provide. But better if, you, if you don't keep in the US, service. you kind of like a like a total scam. Yeah, they will like. Yeah. The manager would come and say, "Oh, did, you didn't like something." And like, no, the yeah. servers in the US they like work for it. Last time I was there, the guy was talking to us for a solid five minutes about something, and I was, "We're still going to tip you. Don't worry. You don't have to put in all this work. We will still give you money so you can live. <laughs> it's okay." Yeah, I mean, it's not that fair to the for sure for the people working mm-hmm. there. Yeah, I guess like it would be great. It would be something in the middle between the Dutch and the American service. <laughs> I wanted to come back to our experience during our studies. Yeah, of course there are a lot of negative aspects like misleading advertisement, but there was one super positive aspect which is social component during the program we met so many amazing people from all over the world and i know you in particular met very good friends in our program which made you to travel to attend some interesting ceremonies in other countries can you tell us more about this uh, experience absolutely yeah no that was like my favorite absolute favorite thing about the program was meeting people from all around the world i forget Like on the first day, they like showed all the different yeah, nationalities. Yeah, I think it was like 60 something, like around, around 60. Yeah, and I come from a very ethnically diverse area of the US, the Washington DC, it's very diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like, I thought I came from a very diverse background Sorry, and then I came here. You felt you know what diversity is yeah. until you came here. <laughs> I, came to, I thought I knew what diversity was and then I was quickly humbled. And I am so thankful for that ability to be humbled because never have I would have thought I would sit at a table recording a podcast with two Russian guys. <laughs> never would I have thought I would have traveled to Pakistan for my roommate's wedding. Like that was a crazy, beautiful experience. Like I fully met Fizza on Facebook. She said she was in the program looking for housing and I was like, same, you want to be roommates? And then that was it. And we had people in our friend group from the Philippines, from Mexico, from Germany. And uh, like, it's crazy how we can be from all different parts of the world and we could still be friends with each other. We come from pretty different cultural backgrounds where it should be a dividing factor. But as people, we can come together and just recognize our differences and also ask each other about our differences. It's so cool how many different countries there were represented then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I did not expect that. And that's for sure was the greatest thing of our program. So yeah, we all yeah, agree coming, on that. Coming back mm-hmm. to the story, you traveled to Yes, Pakistan. so I went to Pakistan for a wedding and like the the foreigner group was myself, two Mexicans, a Filipino, and a Greek German person. So like a very diverse group of people and getting the visas was funny. 
my credit card was cut off because they were like, I was using it to get the visa for it. And they were like, this is a scam. And I was like, I think it's bad that you think this is a scam. But fully on the phone with them for like two hours trying to fight them saying that it is me trying to go to Pakistan for real. (laughs) Like, I promise you, this is not a scam. (laughs) But an incredibly diverse group of people and everyone there was so nice. Like my friend, my Pakistani friend, her family was so incredibly welcoming to us and so warm to us. They were like, you guys are our family for the weekend. Like this, you are one of us. And the wedding was like three days long. The cultural expectations of a person when you get married is so strong. My friend, she had to sit on like a pedestal for the whole like three hour long affair for one day. And then the other day it was like an eight hour long party. And it was just so much just social, like, you have to do this Mm -hmm. because you're getting married. So you have to be there. You have to get the dressed. You have to say hello to everyone, um, even if you don't know them, even if they're just random strangers. The first day of the wedding was probably about, let me think, probably like 50 people. And then, but that was just the bride's party. And then the second day was the official, the day they actually get married. And so it's hosted by the bride. And so her party was a small one with 300 people. And I was like, 300 people is small. I was like, you're fucking kidding me. Sorry if we can't curse, but... You can with them. Okay. Leave it out. I don't know. We um, don't have any <laughs> sponsors or advertisers anyway. <laughs> but, this isn't sponsored? But if there are some, please. Yeah. I mean, actually, I think our investments at some point should be at least somehow returned. <laughs> we'll see. Fingers crossed. I hope the best for you guys. 200 people. 300 people is small. And then, so this was in Islamabad. And then the groom's party was in Peshawar, which is close to the Afghanistan border. So we had to drive there and everything. And then that was 700 people. And I was like, I cannot imagine. I don't know 700 people. I would have to dig deep so far back into like my elementary school days. Every person you talk to more than two minutes. Yeah. I was like, who, what is, this is... And my friends, she would just invite people. Like, this is just what it is. People just come for the food and then they leave. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, that, what? They come for the photos, food, and then leave. But do you book the whole stadium for that or? <laughs> Essentially, so the 700, um, like, person party day, um, since it was in the city called Peshawar, it's a much more conservative city. So it was segregated by gender. So I was on the woman's side and then. Some of our friends were on the men's side. So there's like a wall and it looked like a small stadium. I'm trying to think of AFAS Live, the stadium. Mm-hmm. It's a big space. Yeah, um, yeah but speaking of uh, bad urban planning, I, yeah, for me it's such a surprise that uh, there is a city where it's like generally segregated and there is a wall in between. Yeah, there are some some examples of the religion segregation. There were some examples of racial, but yeah, like gender one and that still exists crazy but overall i guess that was uh, such a yeah memorable experience of coming to this something that you definitely don't have in the us or europe or maybe elsewhere in the world but coming back to the hold on i want to ask one more question about the wedding because (laughs) i'm also attending a wedding in egypt in December. <gasps> exciting. Uh, super you should dress exciting. up. And and it's my first you. wedding ever, so I never attended a wedding before. And mm-hmm. I heard that in Muslim countries, dancing is a very big part of a wedding. <laughs> is that true? So I, I've heard in Egyptian da- in Egyptian weddings, it is more so. Mm. 
because oh one of the people that also came with us oh no she was egyptian and the whole she was comparing and contrasting mm. because egypt is also a predominantly muslim yeah. country same as pakistan and so she was comparing and contrasting the whole time the differences and so in, she said in egypt there was a lot more dancing than there were than there was in pakistan so you better bring your dancing shoes because you're gonna be dancing take some dancing classes beforehand <laughs> come prepared but yeah that's amazing stories but coming back to the main topic which is <laughs> your there is no main, main topic no i mean there is a main topic of i guess trying to stay in oh, the netherlands yes. i mean which is a real hustle now for adriana because uh one month left yep so tell us i mean Continue if you wanted to say something about uh, your job hunt, how it, how it went, because mm -hmm. we kind of like interrupted you in the mm -hmm. middle. So um, what uh, are your plans? What are your options? So I am applying for anything related to architecture, urban planning, like policy analyzing, which I don't have much experience in, but because of my degree, I'm like, I can kind of swing it that way. Still looking for PhD positions if they're interesting. Not putting all of my eggs into that basket. So you're diversifying a little bit. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But architecture is as more, if not more difficult than getting a PhD position because of the whole nitrogen crisis in this country mm -hmm. and them not constructing. And also there are also so many architects in Rotterdam. Yeah, I mean, it's a well-known place uh, for the European architecture the main how to say it in english bureaus bureaus like the studios, architecture firms yeah firms. studios all yeah. the same things yeah the market is pretty situated here yeah i'm trying to figure out a niche for that uh -huh. so um i've been taking like an online course uh related to circularity in the built environment mm -hmm. I'm trying to go more of like the sustainability side because Yeah, not that's... not just to get me a job, but I also think it's important. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. pretty smart. First of all, it is really important. And yeah, second of all, yeah, you just, uh, there are some jobs in that sector. Yeah, we love the environment, but we also love that it can give me a job. So <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really good <laughs> match. That's Because really good sustainability match. is not only the environment, it's also economy and society. Yes. Oh. Ooh, wow. Someone <laughs> took pillars. that course. Yeah. Wow. How <laughs> Someone much, took introduction how to much, sustainability. How much, how much money did you anyways yeah i mean i totally feel you on that part even though I, i'm not an architect and but i was looking in some kind of this maybe similar sector since we graduated from the same program and i also applied to phd positions and i almost almost got it yeah i mean maybe you maybe seen on my linkedin i published like a research proposal i wrote mm -hmm. so I surprisingly was going for that and funny enough it was not in the Netherlands, it was in Belgium and the competition was a bit less, I think there were like 52 people in total, I came second, but yeah in, in all other cases it's 160 or something yeah. for the jobs, I guess it's kind of a similar situation and if you don't have the credentials that they look for such as you don't speak dutch you might have a really good knowledge of everything else but you don't speak dutch or you don't have european citizenship or you don't have like this particular degree you're just not, not going to look into your application which sucks yeah they have like right now employers have the benefit of they have such a big candidate pool to pull from mm -hmm. that if you don't meet all of their requirements 100 they can say no to you because mm -hmm. there's so many other people that they can say yes to yeah um no i understand the phd sadness because i got into the last round of a, a phd program at the university of Groningen. Mm. and um, it was between me and two other people and like I knew in the interview as I closed my laptop I didn't get it because I think I just got so into my head about 
this could change my life mm -hmm. if I get this. This could solve 80% of my issues. Mm -hmm. And 80% of my issues is a visa <laughs> to stay in this country. And it was just got so much in my head about it. It was a really cool project. It was about studying people with disabilities in cities and how they move through cities mm. and very cool. And like I thought it was very interesting, but yeah. yeah, I cried so much afterwards. Yeah, sometimes when you like really want something and you like really go full, full in for that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I ironically don't get it. Like I was also, I remember myself, I was like... I think you also cried a little bit. I think, I think I did. A probably. little bit? But I don't remember. I was sad for sure. Maybe I was so sad I couldn't even cry, I don't remember. <laughs> but yeah, there were some personal stories connected to that and doesn't matter. But what matters is actually, it's funny enough, when I closed my laptop, I thought that I might really actually get it. But there was someone who got sick and they waited to interview and this I mean a very good person probably yeah very qualified I'm sure got it no I mean eventually okay I'm not really regretful now because I got a job and in the end choosing between the career and the academia if it's like not a just a career like for the sake of it if it's something interesting something then where it can develop mm -hmm. I would choose career and so my job is part of the Netherlands so but I guess if you find a job now in the same area you would take it because now it's like or not. I yeah, know. I mean, at this point, I've applied for product managed positions at like IT companies mm -hmm. because I have technically managed projects. They're technically construction projects, but they're still the same pieces. There's still pieces that you have to manage, finances, things like that. But today I still got like three job rejections. So mm -hmm. it's the consistent email after email after email of unfortunately like thank you very much for your application we really appreciate the time and effort you put into it but unfortunately and at that point every time when i read the but unfortunately I'm yeah like, yeah absolutely it's so devastating so frustrating but have you considered have you tried maybe to apply to internships at some point at this point i can't oh yeah it's too late but at this point it's too late but i also have three years of work yeah, yeah like same for me so yeah <laughs> so i feel like i have too much experience to be an intern again mm -hmm. but at the same time i think probably looking back now i probably should have applied for internships but it's much easier to look back at things and be like yeah. oh i should have done this i should have done that yeah the reason i'm saying it because i also realized at some point when it was kind of too late that uh i would rather try internships even though i have like three years of experience but uh for many reasons they don't value here and uh yeah it sucks when you see a person who has zero years of experience and you have some and you come for the same internship but it is what it is and uh, yeah sometimes you need to sacrifice something but if you don't find a job and the time is very limited, uh, what are you thinking to do? I really try to stay somehow here around or leave. So great question. I called IND a couple weeks ago mm -hmm. and I was like, hey, what do I, my visa is going to end November 6th. Like, what are my options? Like, do I have to be out exactly by November 6th or is there like a grace period? And the guy was like, do you want to leave? And I was like, no. And he was like, okay, this is what we can do. And he was actually incredibly helpful. Mm -hmm. He was like, if you have a visa, like an application for a visa, then you don't need to leave. Mm -hmm. And as an American, you can just leave the Schengen and then just come back in. Mm -hmm. So it is a huge privilege that I know that I have. So November 6th weekend, my boyfriend and I are going to be taking a little trip to the UK. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't need a visa to go no. there, right? No. Yeah. It is a privilege that I know that I have mm -hmm. to be able to just easily leave the Schengen, go to the UK and then come back in and then Yeah, and also fine. there is some Dutch-American tr treaty that you can yes. invest. Chamber of Commerce, whatever. Something. It is, yeah, it's the American Friendship Treaty where you can put 4,500 euros into a Dutch business bank account 
and you need to have that bank account, prove that you're making at least 1500 euros a month, and then that's it. You can just get get a visa that way. Mm. Yeah, it's good. There are some options, but in the end, if you run out of the options, do you consider coming back to the US or, or not really? Yes, but it would be a very temporary stay. My boyfriend is Dutch and we've talked about this a little bit where he was like, if you get deported, I'll come visit you in the US. And I was like, that is the nicest thing. <laughs> that, this is a very Dutch type of humor. <laughs> like in his way, I was like, I know he's saying a very subtle, I really like you, but it's a weird way to say it. <laughs> um, you didn't have to use the word deported. <laughs> I was like, damn, man. But it is funny. Like I do laugh about it. But yeah, so it would be a very, like, it would be a temporary thing. Because I know I don't see myself living in the U.S. much more long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so at this point, it seems even though the circumstances are not that great, you try to stay optimistic and uh, totally understand mm -hmm. how it is. Yeah, just hard uh, and unfair. Uh, but I'm sure, I'm sure you will be able to find uh, in one way or another to stay here or somewhere nearby in Europe and yeah from my side I can wish you just all the best and yeah, yeah. I want to ask about the Netherlands is in general what are your cultural observations I understand that you like the place but maybe you can give specific examples what do you like about it so much what I like about it is there is a genuineness to people here mm. in the US people are very warm and friendly to you in the very beginning and then it's very much surface level for a period of time. Yes, very superficial. And in the Netherlands, it's very much the opposite, where people are kind of cold mm -hmm. towards new people in the very beginning. And then as you get to know them, they become actually really good friends. And so that is something that I really appreciate. I know myself, I also do the warm, bubbly. It's hard to break. It has been 26 years of my life of doing that. But the honesty is also incredibly refreshing as well. Also, Dutch people are just like really quirky. Like the humor is so weird <laughs> and I really like it. <laughs> it is so funny. <laughs> there you draw the line between the honesty and the directness and the rudeness. Rude, yeah, like, yes, yeah. I, I mean, rudeness. It's a very yeah. thin line. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand what you're saying. I think we all share it to a certain extent also. We yeah. like the people here, their sense of humor. Mm -hmm. School place. Yeah, even though you have a Dutch boyfriend, but we mostly hang out with the other expats. But still, I would love to get to know the Dutch people, Dutch culture better. Like, and probably I will have a chance since I'm probably gonna move soon somewhere. More like uh, Dutch, more Dutch. Yeah, away from Randstad. Yeah, new experience. It's gonna be less of an expat life, more like a Dutch way of living. Mm -hmm. They're gonna see. Yeah, how's your Dutch? Geen <laughs> goed. No, I mean, actually, I haven't been practicing my Dutch more than two months, so I think I reached around A2 level. And so I do I do understand what people are saying around me, but it's still very hard to jump into a conversation and sometimes I just make a mistake and just stuck in the conversation. But my job, like the expert center, they're gonna provide Dutch lessons, hopefully. And oh, nice. uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to attend them because I think I really will need to learn Dutch and this is kind of important. How's yours? I think I'm also A2 level at this point. I'm trying to like jump from A2 to the B1, but it's tough. Mm -hmm. It's a big jump to make. 
I did have dinner with my boyfriend's parents the other night and the mom was immediately in very Dutch direct way. She was like, and now we speak Dutch. And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, okay, we're doing this now. <laughs> very good. I think to be able to do that, and they're both very patient with me trying to just find words and try to say things. So it's getting better. I definitely need to practice more, but I don't know if you've heard about this, the urban legend of the nuns, the convent that helps you learn Dutch. Ah, oh, some like Christian society that organizes Dutch lessons. Yes. For like five days, you live out in the western part of the country. Like Eastern part? Sorry, like, eastern part. Like Friesland? I don't know. Somewhere. I forget. But it's like... <laughs> your new hometown? Are you going to move into a, uh, yeah, <laughs> a religious organization? That's, that's the whole... Uh, I, don't, I, I cannot tell you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm going to move somewhere. We're going to see. I mean, I'm going to move in between Amersfoort. This is like the, the furthest away from the job I can allow myself, which mm -hmm. is close to the... From Amersfoort to Enschede, which is on the border. So like somewhere there. Nice. It's like a convent that used to be a convent, but now they don't have nuns, but they still follow the... It be, was like really big about teaching language. So it's incredibly expensive. It's like 6,000 euros wow. for five days. You wow. were just there. Sounds like, like learn a money stuff or something. I don't know. No, people go and they're like, this is how I really learned Dutch. In five days. In five days. Experience. Also, the food they said is is phenomenal. So you're eating well and you're learning. Yes. So. But 6,000 Yeah. Yeah, no, wow. their employers paid for it. That's how uh -huh. I knew. That's okay. what it was. Again, money laundering. But no, I would go to a Caribbean resort. <laughs> rather. If you had 6,000 euros, what would you do with it? <laughs> yeah, you're big corporate. So you just waste money on everything. <laughs> Yeah, anyways, there were so many cool stories you shared with us and so many nice perspectives. I'm pretty sure that our listeners are going to enjoy it. And also from my end, I wanted to highlight that our first guest was from the US. We published this episode. I think it still is the most popular one for some reason. Maybe because it's the first one or maybe because it was a really good guest from the US. We don't know. Let us know in the comments or whatever. I don't know. Not comments. It's I mean, not we have. <laughs> I mean, first of all, we have a review section. So leave reviews. By the way, it's quite important for us. And we have social media. We have Instagram. We have LinkedIn. Even Facebook. Nobody sees there, but yeah, just whatever. So yeah, our last guest, probably the last guest, is also from the US of this season, and it's a very kind of ironic thing for us. Two Russians. Yeah, starting mm -hmm. and finishing interviewing in our season Americans. It mm -hmm. only, I think, showcases how our podcast is international and diverse and inclusive and so on and so forth. Thanks for coming again. Yeah, yeah. thanks Adriana. Wish you all the best and good luck with your future adventures. Thank you. Do it. Bye-bye.